0: experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Diz Unplugged connecting with Walt podcast I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host producer and good friend Craig Williams Craig how are you today I am most excellent how are you Michael Oh, I'm doing well. I I came across a little hidden treasure as I'm doing all my reorganization of that. And it literally like fell off a shelf. And it's my vintage Disneyland postcard collection. I started oh. collecting these from in the 70s. And it was just fun to go through these and see these old scenes of Disneyland attractions that are gone. You know, and and um, and all that, because really now, it, what, maybe there's four or five postcards in the park?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, nobody I,
0: sends postcards anymore. I know. That's, <laughs> like,
1: that is one of the most nuts things. Like, I can remember. That used to be something we always looked for when we came down. Like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously buying plushes and stuff that all the kids do. But I can distinctly remember looking at racks and racks of postcards. And my sister used to buy them. All the time, so uh, it's who knows what happened to hers. But how many? How many are in your collection? If you had to guess, a lot.
0: <laughs> I would guess at least fifty, maybe more. Um, good for you. And I had them grouped by by uh, by land, and then by um, groupings of characters. So good, but. Yeah, so, so that was it, that was nice. So I have to go back through them again. I glanced through them quickly to see if I had the, you know, one of the most cherished postcards is the from the, the former version of the Alice in Wonderland attraction, the, the upside-down room. And, I mean, those postcards go for a pretty penny. Wow. You don't know, want eBay and all that. And um, I looked, and I, I don't have that one. I was yeah. really hoping I did. So, Oh, well.
1: Who knows? Maybe it fell in between oh, a watched, book or something uh, else.
0: I, 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 yeah, no, I don't know if I ever had it. I'm not sure. But see, I like to collect the postcards because those were always the perfect shots. You know, those shots yeah. were taken on days of perfect weather from angles that guests sometimes couldn't get. Exactly. You know, and- yeah. And in the, those are the days when, pe- you know, guests were considerate and didn't take, you know, flash photographs of, um, you know, the attractions. No,
1: guests are still amazing yeah. to this day.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, you know, with those Sylvania Blue Dot flash cubes and their <laughs> Instamatics, you know. Yep. So, <laughs> but, anyway. Oh, and... Um, our daughter was visiting this past week, and we watched a couple movies. And one of them we watched was, it was a very different version of The Jungle Book on Netflix. Have you seen Mowgli? I didn't watch it yet, mm-hmm. but I plan
1: on it. This was the version that Andy Serkis directed. Uh, yes. It was it, it was really delayed, but originally this was supposed to open very very quickly right around the same time that the John Favreau Disney one was and mm-hmm. because they went through production at like the exact same time and you know considering both of them were utilizing a lot of uh, motion capture that that was the big deal with it and if you don't know Andy Serkis um uh, he's Gollum from The Lord of the Rings and he played King Kong and Caesar from the the new planet of the apes movies i mean he is like if they will give out an honorary oscar for motion capture he is the man who will be first in line to win it because he has done so much for the form and yeah taking on the jungle book it was a big deal i just my problem is i've i've got my two dogs elvis and crosby elvis barks at the TV like nothing else anytime there is a dog any animal that's on four legs he will lose his mind to bark so i can't really watch movies with animals in them unless oh, like i'm upstairs by myself and they're downstairs so i haven't gotten to it yet because of that but i cannot wait to watch it i'm i'm excited to see it
0: it's good you know if they don't have the budget for you know the the uh, cg you know uh cap you know and the, and the screen captures and all that that um disney did but it's still very well done this is a darker take <laughs> yeah see that surprises me though about the cg and the
1: budget because warner brothers was financing it mm-hmm. so and you know warner brothers it's in, they, they do some big budget stuff but maybe it just went way too over budget and they finally got a. Uh, Finally, I'm sorry if you hear my dogs barking in the background. Kylie must he be must watching be- something with animals on TV. I was just saying that. Maybe they're watching Lassie or Benji or something. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um but yeah, no, it's uh very interesting and yeah, I read that it was gonna be darker than Disney's take, and obviously Disney's Disney's take was darker than it originally was as a uh as its animated form. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's I, I'm I'm interested.
0: And I read somewhere that when Disney heard that you know Mowgli was being made, that's when they made a decision to add the songs in, because originally oh. they weren't going to have the songs. Oh, okay, for the Jungle I, Book. I must have missed that somewhere along the
1: line, but that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so because they needed to differentiate it, because there definitely are some of the things that they added into disney's i don't know live action i guess you can call it that they need to come up with another word for these like you know th- th- you know like the lion king it's not live action what they're making so they're going to come yeah. with another term for this type of That's, film.
1: i mean i know right. i still say live action a lot i'm just going oh. to start training myself to say just flat out reimagined classics so oh, okay. and just go with it from that it's because that way it doesn't say exactly how it was reimagined but it does say yeah. that it was reimagined.
0: Yeah. But they definitely took some of the same themes, you know, I get, I don't know if they went to the source material uh, uh, or what, but um but 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 they definitely had different takes on it. So, it's worth seeing. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, the the so. one thing I hoped was that
1: Neither movie would detract from the other one, and it would be something like, "Okay, well, you can like both of them without necessarily getting into, oh, I have to like this one better than the other." I was hoping mm-hmm. that they'd be able to just live as this is one take on it, this is another take, and they're both they both went for something, and hopefully they both achieved it, so obviously, we know the Disney version did, but yeah, I gotta give this other one one a shot, yeah yeah, you'll no dogs are around. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Cosby might like it too. Of <laughs> another movie that I watched though, so one we've talked about many times, a uh, DVD is Song of the South fell into my possession. Very and, nice, and I watched that film first time in decades, and it's I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was just so wonderful to see the story, and you know, see the animation. And I mean that animation is in in a lot of ways that the the animation combined with live action it was right up there like with Mary poppins
1: oh yeah no you know, it's that, i mean th-
0: it definitely did a good job yeah. with it
1: yeah no i I think there are aspects about it where I feel like it actually it even it works even better um than parts of Mary Poppins with it, yes. but um you know that that's subjective, everyone's gonna feel different about that but I, there's some moments that it just it it feels even better but uh you know it's if you can't get a copy like michael did always on youtube just
0: oh yeah the quality on it's those ones are there. awful but um yeah it's definitely a film i would love that you know disney would back it again but it would have to be it, it just couldn't be hey here's the blu-ray although blu-rays are going away but um it would have to be somehow in some sort of a historical context setting. I mean, I didn't find it any worse than like Gone with the Wind, which is on television, it's it it comes to theaters and special events, you know, and all that. But um I guess because yeah. it's Disney. Yeah, and I mean and, and it's and it's you know, it's for families and children that it takes on a different
1: but, yeah. but like looking back a couple of years ago when they asked Whoopi about it i think it was, was it whoopie or oprah that they asked about goldberg. it yeah, goldberg yeah and when she said release it if they're not going to release it when Whoopi goldberg says you should release it then it's it's got no hope
0: yeah no i agree with you but it was just delightful to see it again it really was and then um and finally for me uh i wanted to thank our listener anita who um heard me say hey i missed out on the mickey uh 90th celebration um you know destination d magnet that they i guess they gave out <laughs> and I, and so she and her husband had both attended destination d so they had two and so she very kindly um sent me one so thank you anita for that my collection's complete <laughs>
1: Do you have it hanging on your refrigerator?
0: I don't as yet, because I haven't taken all the others out of the package. So I have it with them. So I'll, I probably will hang it up on the refrigerator. No, one day. But uh, I don't have room on my refrigerator for all of those magnets. So I have to figure out how I'm going to display them. So um, you'll so get have there. pictures... We have, you know, pictures our granddaughters drawn and our magnets. (laughs) Who needs that, though? Who needs all that nostalgic (laughs) stuff when you could have Mickey (laughs) magnets?
1: Or buy a new refrigerator.
0: Oh, yes. Well, we just had to buy a new freezer. So, anyway. well, Well, this week, we are continuing our exploration of Walt Disney World's Epcot. And this was the first non-castle theme park developed and constructed by the Walt Disney Company. And in previous episodes, we have discussed Walt Disney's ideas for the environmental prototype community of tomorrow and Progress City. Uh, You know, how the company struggled with Walt's concept after his passing and what led to the eventual construction and opening of Epcot Center on October 1st, 1982. So now join us as we explore the history of Epcot. And it is our hope this series will increase your appreciation for the park and inspire you to take the time to pause and explore its wonders and notice its details. Now, Epcot was built in the interim between Walt Disney and Michael Eisner. And after the Magic Kingdom was opened in 1971, Walt's more progressive plans were put on hold as the company regrouped financially after the construction of Walt Disney World and the Magic Kingdom, and emotionally after the passing of Walt's brother, Roy O. Disney. The Epcot Center that was eventually built was neither experimental nor a community, but several of Walt's ideas were realized. Walt's Progress City had an internationally themed shopping area, and Epcot Center had World Showcase. Walt's Epcot would have included opportunities for corporations to demonstrate their latest technology and incorporate it into the dwellings of Progress City. Epcot Center had Future World with corporate-sponsored pavilions. Now, from opening day until 1994, the park was known as Epcot Center. It was renamed Epcot 94 in an effort to move away from the ideology of being a perfectly planned community. It was renamed Epcot 95 until 1996 when it became simply Epcot Now, when you arrive at Epcot by car, bus, or monorail, you enter through the future, or more correctly, future world. Greeting guests is the 180-foot-high gleaming spaceship Earth, the largest structure of its kind in the world at the time, and the icon of the park. Before settling on a geodesic sphere, several concepts were considered, including recreations of the Roman Parthenon, the dome of St. Peter's Cathedral in the Vatican, a 125-foot diameter steel globe similar to the one at the 1964-65 New York World's Fair, and a golden geodesic dome similar to the Expo 67 dome in Montreal. Now, the geodesic dome concept was popular at WED, but Imagineers wanted a more dramatic entrance to Spaceship Earth than a dome with entranceways in the side. Gordon Hoops, who is WED's project designer for Spaceship Earth, and his desire was to, quote, create an atmosphere for our guests that raises their spirits and kindles an excitement for the human experience in the future. Now, the Imagineers soon decided they wanted a full sphere so guests could ascend into the attraction. So they decided to build something that had never been built before a geodesic sphere. The title of the attraction, Spaceship Earth, was not developed just by the Imagineers. The term was popularized by Buckminster Fuller in his 1968 book operating manual for spaceship earth in which he imagined that the earth was a spaceship and every person its pilot there was very little engineering data for this type of structure Now, computer aided design or cad was a fairly new technology at the time and it was utilized to design and engineer the structure Spaceship Earth is two separate structures, the external shell, which is the sphere itself, and the internal ride system and show scenes. One of the first challenges was to lift and support the structure above the ground. So six legs radiating away from the sphere to give the appearance that the globe is floating were sunk 120 to 160 feet into the ground. And this was done as much to carry the weight of the structure as it was to keep it from blowing away in hurricane-force winds. A one 1⁄16-inch Um, to one-foot model of Spaceship Earth was constructed, and WED hired MIT to test it in a wind tunnel against simulated winds of 110 miles per hour to determine pressure coefficients for the design and to test wind pressure underneath the sphere where the guests would be walking. They didn't want the wind to knock guests to the ground as they passed under the structure.
1: And, I mean, if you've ever been there on a windy, windy day, uh, you know that that's not strong enough to knock you down. I mean, unless you were extremely weak, but it still <laughs> is a wind tunnel under there on on pretty windy days. Like it, it always takes me aback where you can be walking around. And it's like oh, with the nice breeze, you know. It's it's a little it's a little. It's just like the perfect weather, and then as soon as you walk through the wind tunnel and that wind picks up, it's like it's 10 degrees colder, and uh-huh. I am afraid of being knocked down by it. But <laughs> uh, you know what, though? If, if wet and MIT figured out that we're fine, then, then I trust them in the long run. We'll be fine forever.
0: Yeah, I have noticed that definitely the drop in temperature when you're down there, which can be nice on certain yeah. days. Yeah.
1: No, it's, it's a marvel – of science when you really i mean obviously that but just like how how the environment changes just based on on where you're standing under it i mean i i know that's that's with anything a wind tunnel can happen literally so easily from stuff but it it is amazing when you just how it changes when you're walking under that giant sphere it's it's really incredible but it's something that most people, I doubt, have ever stopped to think about and just kind of deal with
0: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, if the six legs were allowed to bear the full load alone, it would put too much stress on those individual sections of the sphere. So to prevent the shell from buckling in those areas of concentrated force, the weight had to be distributed more evenly. So the structure was designed to keep the shell structure independent of the legs. The top of each leg was connected to trusses to form a hexagonal truss and reinforced with additional interior trusses to form a platform. The hexagonal trusses trusses, are what support the weight of the shell structure. Both the hexagonal trusses and the interior trusses bear the load for the internal ride and show structure. Now, at this stage of the construction, Spaceship Earth resembles resembled a giant six-legged table. Now, because this platform was so critical to the structure, Imagineers needed to apply some dead load to the hexagonal trusses before erecting the shell. So WED built most of the ride structure before beginning construction of the shell, So they erected the interior columns and most of the vehicle track onto the platform. This ended up working well for WED because the construction of the interior traction and the shell could be completed at the same time. After most of the show structure was completed, they had to begin transitioning from the hexagonal trusses to building the shell. So they used what they called quadrupods, which are shaped like pyramids formed from pipe. And the bases of the quadrupods were connected to the outer perimeter of the hexagonal trusses of the table-like platform. And the tops of the quadrupods were connected through support hubs on the shell to make an interlocking ring of sphere struts. And after all this, they were ready to build the shell. Now, the shell is basically two geodesic domes, one on the top and one on the bottom. The top three quarters of the sphere rests on the platform, and the bottom one quarter is suspended below the platform. And the geodesic dome maintains its shape simply by the nature of its design and does not require reinforcement. The larger the dome, the stronger it is. So when Spaceship Earth was built, Construction of the shell started with the top portion beginning at the platform from the support hub level in the rings of the struts until the entire top portion was complete. Then the remaining bottom portion of the sphere below the platform was completed. I just
1: thought of it now, too. Uh, we've obviously, there's a lot of technical jargon in this that may be uh, tripping people up and confusing everyone. So, I'm going to make sure in our show notes, which of course you can always find at disunplug.com, uh, at the very minimum I'm going to include the the video you've probably seen it before at some point in time, but uh, luckily there is a time lapse of spaceship earth being built. So, it again, it's very quick moving, but at least it'll help give you a little bit more of an idea mm-hmm. if you need that little bit of a visual help. So, uh, yeah, well, uh, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Uh, If not, if you don't want to bother looking through it in that way, just go ahead and uh, try – go over to YouTube and search in, like, Spaceship Earth time-lapse, and it will be the first thing that pops up without a doubt. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Craig and I were talking off-air, and I I was telling him I had to to look at photos as I was writing this and and researching it. I had to – I was looking at photos Videos to try to um, just to try to even get wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's uh, because this is so amazing. It's definitely complicated. It was yeah. this
1: was no easy task, and, and of course, a lot of the stuff that that Disney puts together is never easy. But like this one, for sure, is like this was this was effort mm-hmm. to say the least. So uh, just super fascinating.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. So so construction then continued to complete the exterior of the shell. There are actually two layers to the outer shell. The inner layer provides waterproofing and fire protection, and the outer layer is what guests see. So the shell structure is actually a sphere within a sphere. The larger exterior sphere has a radius about two feet greater than the smaller interior sphere. This double sphere concept was designed to resolve some challenges the Imagineers uncovered during the design process of Spaceship Earth. So as I mentioned just a moment ago, they needed a waterproof and fire-resistive exterior to protect guests, cast members, sets, and attraction vehicles, and it had to provide a visually pleasing and futuristic aesthetic that could withstand the Florida weather. Well, there was no one material that could accomplish all this, so the sphere-within-a-sphere concept was created. The inner layer is made up of steel panels in an array of large triangles with a waterproofing neoprene sheet over it. A hidden gutter system runs around this inner layer at the sphere's equator, so no water goes underneath the sphere, resulting in a deluge, for those of you who like uh, the old living with the seas, um, onto the attraction queue and guests. Instead, the water runs through 1 inch gaps in the outer shell and guests get caught uh, and this water gets caught not the guests in the gutter and drains out into the world showcase lagoon
1: yeah, it's like a bus driver's favorite piece of trivia you know it's bus drivers always love giving out bad information i'm not trying to throw any bus drivers under the bus here we all know so oh, that see. was clever. Uh, I didn't <laughs> even think of that before I said it. Uh, we all know what happens with it, though. And But this is like one thing. Like, if you ever hear that one, yeah, it, it's true. And it's it's pretty neat. So, mm-hmm. But don't trust anything else bus drivers tell you. Just ignore it.
0: I'm impressed they even thought of this. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. But I guess that's how you build a model. <laughs> you know it's a,
1: Exactly. It's if you build it right in the model form when you make it big, it should all be fine.
0: Yeah. Now, the outer shell is purely for show. Now, Imagineers chose a material called, uh, I hope I'm getting this right, um, alucobond or alucobond or something like that, which is polythylene plastic um, heat bonded between two sheets of aluminum. So this material was chosen for its lightweight strength and ability to withstand the frequent rains and occasional hurricanes of central Florida. So they used aluminum pipe standoffs to create the gap between the inner and outer skins and attach the alucobond facets to them. Now, for the outer shell, John Hench, who was the WED vice president for creative development at the time, subdivided each of the large triangles into four smaller triangles on which they placed triangular pyramids to make it more visually interesting. 11,324 Alokabond panels were created for the outer shell of Spaceship Earth. they were designed to diffusely reflect the landscape surrounding Spaceship Earth. By day, Spaceship Earth is intended to mirror the sky, the land, the patterns made by Epcot Center structures, walkways, and guests. By night, it glints and sparkles with the lights of Future World and World Showcase, but also with the galaxy, the stars, and the planets above. Um, The panels are intended to be self-cleaning by the rainfall and feature a smoother-than-glass surface. To ensure it remains sparkling, Spaceship Earth is cleaned on a regular schedule by maintenance workers who exit the top of the structure by way of an access panel and repel down the structure and power wash it at night. That would be a sight to see.
1: Yeah, no. Not only would that be a sight to see, that would be a job to have. <laughs> um, it's i I wouldn't perv- I wouldn't like it, but that's because I don't. I'm, well, I'm still I battle with myself all the time on how I actually feel about heights. Sometimes I'm I'm good with them, other times I'm not so much. So uh, this one sounds awful though. <laughs> yeah. So
0: this this sounds scary. Yeah. Not
1: not for me. Definitely for someone. Just not for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, Spaceship Earth, the attraction, takes guests on a journey through time, highlighting the history of human communication. The ride structure is arranged in two helixes that serve as the track for the ride vehicles. The vehicles spiral up to the top of the sphere and back down to the unloading area. Along this slow moving journey up into the sphere, guests view various props, projections and audio animatronics. The attraction vehicle is a version of Disney's Omnimover system originated by Imagineer Bob Gurr. To minimize air conditioning costs, air cannons direct cool air only onto the 1,552-foot ride path, so guests don't feel the heat and humidity that's just a few feet away. Now, each vehicle is capable of rotating or tilting to a pre-programmed position. This system enables Imagineers to control what guests will see in order to tell a story, whilst obstructing portions of the attraction that are meant to be remain hidden from guests. Each attraction vehicle includes speakers, enabling the designers to cue a portion of the narration at predetermined locations along the track, giving each guest the same ride experience. And during the 2007 renovation of Spaceship Earth, interactive displays were added to each vehicle. Now, Spaceship Earth took 26 months and 40,800 labor hours to construct. And interestingly, no scaffolding or temporary supports were used during construction. Now, Spaceship Earth was dedicated on October 1st, 1982, with the opening of Epcot Center. Chairman of Walt Disney Productions, Card Walker, said in his dedication speech, Communications is the beginning of understanding and thus fitting of the park's marquee attraction. Now, the structure of Spaceship Earth remained unchanged until 1999. To celebrate the new millennium in 2000, a representation of Sorcerer Mickey's arm holding a magic wand was constructed next to Spaceship Earth and the number 2000 arched over a portion of the sphere. This new icon stood 240 feet tall and weighed 100,000 pounds. When the celebration ended, the number 2000 was replaced with the theme park's name Epcot.
1: So how did you feel about The Wand?
0: I, you know, at first I thought, okay, that's cool, but you know, the novelty wore off with me really quickly. Mm-hmm. So, how about
1: you? I, I mean, here's the thing. I was 13 when mm-hmm. The Wand made its debut. So it left a bigger impact on me, and that was uh, you know, when I was growing up, we did a trip in 90 like the trips that I remember we did a trip in 92 94 96 and so when we went in 2000 that was like the first trip that I really really remember uh, I, I, I I would be lying to myself if I said I remembered all of my trips for for the early 90s I remember bits and pieces of it I remember uh, I remember all of toontown with disney afternoon in there and i remember riding the buckets and delta dream Flight, like all of that but my first like real solid memories where i could like i can still picture it perfectly would, would have been in 2000 and so yeah this was this was huge like because it, it just hit me around the same time like like a lot of people, how they felt about the giant sorcerer Mickey hat at Hollywood Mm -hmm. studios. It's what it's really like they walked in and saw it for the first time and they never knew of a life before it. And so while I did have a life at Epcot before the wand, the one time that I went where it first made that impact with me was in 2000. So, uh, it, it definitely it hit for a while and then the change to Epcot was cool, but then that was around the time where I really started using the internet more and more in in about uh you know, two thousand two ish. And that's when it's like join all the message boards and be like, Yeah, when when are they gonna pull <laughs> that crap down? Get rid of it. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Many Disney fans, they were not happy with the decision to leave Mickey's arm in hand on Spaceship Earth. I think maybe when they thought it was just for a year, they were they they could put up with it, but not when it just went on and on.
1: Yeah. Um, And it just ruined the entire mm -hmm. ruined the structure. I mean, that's the beautiful part about Spaceship Earth. When you look at it dead on from the front, it's it's perfect. Like, it is perfect. And then as soon as you add the wand on, it throws off the symmetry entirely. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Park fans didn't feel Mickey should be represented so significantly at Epcot. And like you're saying, they felt it spelled the aesthetic of the Park icon. Uh, on July 5th, 2007, Epcot Vice President Jim McPhee announced that Spaceship Earth would be restored to its original appearance and the magic wand structure would be removed in time for the park's 25th anniversary on October 1st, 2007. Now, Siemens AG, the new sponsor of Spaceship Earth, was rumored to have requested the wand be removed because it didn't fit with their corporate image which that part I don't get. (laughs) Yeah, that
1: that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But you know what? If that's what it took, then good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, the attraction was closed on July 9th, 2007 for refurbishment. And by October 1st, the wand structure, the stars and star supports were gone, replaced by palm trees and other plants. Um, Components of the structure were later auctioned on eBay,
1: yeah. And I hear that Bob Chapek actually bought them all up because he wants to put it back together and get it back on there. So it wouldn't t- surprise me, you know, in time for the big 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World as a whole. Let's let's put let's restore Spaceship Earth back to its great glory.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's going to do that, <laughs> and, and, then is he, and then he's and then he's going to make Cinderella Castle. He's going to bake it into a cake again.
1: Right? I think we should just let's revisit <laughs> all of the mistakes and. Then over at Hollywood Studios, let's put that hat back up. Um, gotcha. It's really it, the park has lost its Disney feel since the hat's <laughs> been gone. It's not family and it's not Disney, so we need to do that. And Animal Kingdom, I don't know what to tell you. They <laughs> they've never done anything to butcher their icon uh, yet. Yeah,
0: not yet Give so, them time.
1: Yeah, we. It's, so. I'd say what we just hit the twentieth anniversary of Animal Kingdom last year, so. Give it 25, and that's Mm -hmm. when they can start messing around with it.
0: Yeah, maybe they'll, they'll hang. They'll, oh, they'll make it a giant Christmas tree and hang um, character shaped ornaments from That's
1: it. That's slightly what I was thinking in a way. Not <laughs> not just for Christmas though, but like, oh, we need to represent all the different cultures that we we show off here in Animal Kingdom. So, you know, for Africa, we'll hang up African ornaments. In Asia, we'll have Asian themed ornaments, and for Dino Land USA, we'll have tacky. Ornaments, and it'll be perfect, and it'll just it'll be an ornamental tree, and then then when you're watching the Tree of Life Awakening, uh, it'll it'll really bring that show together as a whole. Yeah, but I, yeah. I don't want to talk any more about it because I don't want Disney to steal our idea and run with it. Not <laughs> yeah, because we won't get credit, definitely not, <laughs> but because um, it just sounds awful, even coming out <laughs> of
0: our mouths as a joke. I Well, the Bell System was the original sponsor of Spaceship Earth, but in 1984, the company was broken up into regional companies, and the parent company, AT&T, took over sponsorship until 2002. The attraction had no sponsor for several years until Siemens AG, the parent company of Sylvania, which had sponsored Illuminations Reflections of Earth, took over sponsorship from 2005 until um, 2017. A VIP lounge operated by the pavilion sponsor exists above the post-show area of Spaceship Earth. Employees of the company sponsoring the attraction and their guests can relax in a lounge whilst visiting Epcot. The sponsor can also hold receptions in the space as well as conduct workshops and business presentations. When Spaceship Earth was out sponsorship from 2004 to 2005, uh, the space was used for private events such as weddings and conventions. The layout is small and curved in shape with one wall made up of large windows where visitors can look out into the park. When Siemens took over as sponsor, the lounge was given the name Base 21. In 2012, the name was dropped and was simply known as the Siemens VIP Center. In August 2017, Siemens quickly left the lounge and Disney took it over. Yeah, and I have been in
1: there since, and there is one little nice tribute that's inside of there. I I think I took pictures on my cell phone of it. I'll have to go back and see if I can find them. If I... Did then I will have to post them on our show notes of it too, just because it was a, a cool little look. It just even in the lounge. I was in there for a uh, for a media event. so that's how I got to go in there. That's actually my first time in in this lounge alone. It's mm-hmm. I have now been in I've been in the Siemens. Spaceship Earth. I'll just call it by the attractions. I've been in the Spaceship Earth Lounge. I've been in the Mission Space Lounge. I've been in the Seas. I've been in that um, one, yeah. I've been in... And then I've been in the Test Track one. And <laughs> technically Norway, too. And, um, and American Adventure. Lots of people have been in the American Adventure one, which yeah, is now Club 33, but before it was used for chase holders and, and uh, before that it was just a normal lounge but yeah the uh, my my favorite one personally it's not just because I worked there but it's the test track lounge because you can see where the windows are for that looking out at the park um, It's I, I know we'll probably talk about that when we get to test track eventually but not only do you have a you are so far up high looking out at everywhere towards spaceship earth but then you also have another window that looks into the ride itself Mm. so it's got that that double specialness to it but Mm. yeah the the spaceship earth lounge it's of the ones i've been in uh besides the norway lounge it is very boring it's got one nice view looking out at where the pin traders is and that's that's about it. But yeah, if I if I can dig up those photos that I have, I will put them in the show notes just so you can see that little uh, the little tribute that they had in there as well as if I had any other photos of the lounge. If so not.
0: Was it was it a tribute to Spaceship Earth? Or? A,
1: I I will not lie right now, I am furiously scrolling through my phone trying to get back to <laughs> when that event was. I just don't I okay, I just found it. Um oh it was The tribute was to Illuminations, from Illuminations, from Inspiration to Innovation. Uh, And then there was these little panels set up that were visual, but then they had, like, facts and statistics. So, like, they have Master Control Room contains emergency stop controls and communication controls to each barge using wireless Ethernet and headset communication to the Earth barge driver. The Earth Globe weighing thirty five sorry three hundred fifty thousand pounds and the only barge in the show with a driver on board. The Earth Globe is positioned in the lagoon. Talks about the Inferno barge, um, all the all the different barges that are used in there, all the lasers. Like preparation begins at six a.m. with two techs loading product until mid afternoon when eight techs then prepare and operate the incredible mechanisms behind uh, reflections of Earth. It's it, you know, it's it's a really nerdy thing. It goes into all of. I know I'm talking a lot about this here, but that's that's the type of person I am. It then goes in through the actual show structure. So you know, it goes through uh, it goes through Act One, which is chaos, into Act Two, order, Act Three, meaning. It, it just just really that's really cool. geeky, yeah. And when we were in there, we all said like, we better take photos of this because. Illuminations is going away, so we don't know how long this will be hanging in here, let alone next time we'll be in this room. So that's how I got photos of it. So, yeah, I will definitely throw those up in the uh, the show notes so everyone can see it.
0: And then hang on all that information for when we talk about Illuminations, (laughs) Reflections of Earth in our Epcot series.
1: (laughs) I will have the most uh, intriguing notes on it that no one will have ever
0: read before. Excellent. Good. Looking forward to that. Cause that was my favorite nighttime attraction at um, Walt Disney World. Never missed it when I was yeah. there. So. Well, now that we've explored how the team of designers developed and constructed the magnificent exterior of Spaceship Earth, it's time for us to learn about the equally magnificent attraction on the inside, which we will do in the next installment of our Epcot series. Yep. Got to leave you uh, wanting more. That's right. So that's that's what we're doing. (laughs) And now it's time for this week in Disney history. This is the week of January 27th. We're still using our alternate format where I just throw questions out at Craig and And we'll see what sticks to the old uh, side of the um, VIP lounge there that he's sitting in.
1: (laughs) To be fair, we literally, like, usually we'd like to try to get a couple episodes ahead. Episodes? Episodes ahead, if possible. But uh, we're we're working week to week on this. So you Mm -hmm. can, for right now, at least these first two weeks, you can say the episode you were listening to was just freshly recorded. So that's right. uh, once we get ahead, that's when we we are easier. Uh, it's a lot easier to start scheduling those in and getting getting someone to help out on it. But uh, mm-hmm. still, the start of the year,
0: a, it's busy. Yeah, getting a contestant. Yes, then. but 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 stay tuned because Craig will uh, start talking about um, soon about a new trivia. Yes. trivia contestant or history contestant
1: exactly not only that but then also uh also just to tease because i forgot at the top of the show but uh, i was just
0: thinking about uh, that and i would tease only, <laughs> it at the end
1: of the show <laughs> yeah not only history but also potentially another question and answer episode coming up mm-hmm. so but mm-hmm. that's a tease
0: all righty. okay so for january 27th we're in it we're into that that time of year for the big game. There were a lot of a lot of Super Bowl questions this week, um, or at least a lot of facts, all on the same theme. Okay, uh, Super Bowl twenty five is played at Tampa Stadium in Florida on January twenty seventh, nineteen ninety one. The Halftime Show is a Disney production called Walt Disney World Small World Tribute to 25 Years of the Super Bowl. Boy, it took half the Super Bowl halftime show just to say the title. (laughs) It it features new kids on the block, Disney characters, former American and Canadian football quarterback Warren Moon, and 2,000 local children. What was unique about the broadcast of this halftime show? Halftime shows I, have come a long way since <laughs> Super Bowl Twenty Five.
1: I'll be honest; I have no idea. I've I've watched a lot of halftime shows, uh, just to like especially ones when I wasn't actually watching the games. And it, at four years old, I definitely did not watch this one. Nor have I ever watched it back on YouTube. So if there was anything mm. unique. I genuinely don't know.
0: Well, unlike previous years, the halftime presentation for Super Bowl 25 is not shown live. It is preempted by ABC News in favor of coverage of the ongoing Operation Desert Storm. The halftime show is instead presented in an edited format during the post-game show at the conclusion of the game. Oh, and the New York Giants beat the Buffalo Bills 20 to 19.
1: That is so nuts. Has that ever happened before, where they didn't actually show the halftime show?
0: No, no, this is the first time.
1: First uh, that it happened. There you go. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder if the full version exists somewhere out there. I have to look and yeah. see. At least so, in the minds of the people who were there watching it. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: And the poor performers.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the sad part. But that's that's probably why New Kids on the Block started to fade into obscurity. Yeah. So. What
0: was sad is is that when my son was deployed, um, when he was in the Navy, he his his um, unit was supposed to be part of the of um, the, it was Super Bowl. I can't remember if it was part of the pledge, a uh, part of the national anthem or or halftime show, and it got. It got cut. Oh, it, people in the stadium saw it, but because it, they were from, you know, they were, you know, live from, you know, Iraq. Yeah, but um, it did not get broadcast. <laughs> yeah, that's we were so disappointed. I, I can imagine it. why. I
1: didn't know that your son served.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's yeah, awesome. So did our daughter-in-law too.
1: I, I yeah. I just I guess we never really went over that,
0: but yeah. No. <laughs> so. that's awesome. Anyway, yeah, he was in special ops. Oh. So... So Anyway, yes. Um, Anyway, so, okay, January 28th. On January 28th, 2009, an 80-foot-tall hot air balloon floated above the Magic Kingdom, carrying the Burkett family of Scottsdale, Arizona. The special flight was one of the dreams awarded as part of Disney Park's 2008 Disney Dreams giveaway, which ended December 31st. What was the shape of the hot air balloon?
1: if i remember this one correctly i believe it was spaceship earth
0: it was so i had to have this question in there because we're talking about spaceship earth this week and i didn't even put that together Yeah. Yeah, the previous September 27th, um, or 17th, Christian Burkett was chosen at random as the Dream recipient whilst riding The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh at Disneyland Park in California. Everyone should get an award for that. In addition to the tethered <laughs> balloon flight, Burkett's dream included this VIP vacation to Walt Disney World. That's pretty That's cool. So nuts, what though, happened dude. to all these hot air balloons? I that don't Disney
1: I, made over the years. I don't know, but like to me it really is just random that like that this prize was given away at Disneyland. Mhm. But I mean it's just it's it's weird. It's like okay, you came to Disneyland, you're going to receive a prize to go across to the other coast.
0: But yeah. Hey, oh, I good prize. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, well, god. I think, I the, I think it, the most I ever got was a sticker. Or something, or maybe a fast pass. Yeah, the the
1: dream fast pass where you just snap it off and you get to use it for all those attractions.
0: Yeah, I I didn't get that. Yeah,
1: we got that multiple <laughs> so, times. So I that was you know it was a hokey promotion as it goes, but it was a lot of fun, especially when you was. got picked.
0: Yeah, and really, how much did like those little dream fast passes cost them? Uh,
1: I mean, nothing like I yeah. and I I can't remember exactly how it was. I want to say that when we got ours, the, the one time that I remember it very well, I want to say that we were actually on Star Tours and they came in with their their little uh, their satchels and they're like, hey, guess what? We have dream fast passes for just everyone on here. So as you leave, we'll hand them to you. I and know. it was like we were the first. It was the first attraction. We were the first people on it that day too. And it just, it just worked out. It was, it was something like that. But yeah, that was. A, I, I wish they would bring that one back.
0: I do too. That would be fun. Just a sort of random act of
1: kindness. Exactly. Kind of that's and that's yeah. what it is. It's a random act yeah. of kindness. It's just yeah. it. It doesn't hurt anyone. They don't have to go back to giving stays away in the dream suite. It can just be stuff like the Fast Passes.
0: Unless they want to give me a stay. Uh, (laughs) I'll take it, yeah. (laughs) Okay, January 29th. On January 29th, 1941, Walt Disney's third feature film had its Hollywood premiere. What is the name of the film, and in which theater did it premiere?
1: I know it is Fantasia. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, was it I know was it Carnegie Hall
0: well this is in Hollywood oh it in did, Hollywood it had, it did dip, debut in New York City in November 1940 but now this is it's Hollywood premiere um was it back at Carthay it was. It was at Carthay Circle. Okay, yeah. So, and there, apparently the audience there was even more enthusiastic than the ones in New York. They As still they lost be. money on it, though. Yeah. Well,
1: they'll make <laughs> oh, it up one day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, on January 30th, 1948, Walt Disney writes a personal letter to Gene Herschelt, actor and president of the Academy of Motion picture, arts, and sciences. What is the purpose of this letter?
1: I think I know this one too, and the only reason why I believe I know well, I I know this because I've heard this trivia fact before, but the only reason why it would be fresh in my head is because you've made reference to (laughs) the film already that, uh, that this would be in Regards to, but I believe Walt was writing to try to get an award for Uncle Remus. Um, James. Basket. Basket.
0: (laughs) Thank you. That's right. He technical. wanted him to be awarded a yeah. special Academy Award for his work as Uncle Remus and Song of the South. And Walt Disney wasn't alone in his praise of Basket's performance. Hollywood columnist Hedda Hopper, who, who was very influential at that time, is one of many journalists who publicly declare that Basket should receive an Academy Award. Um, Less than two months later, Baskett will receive an honorary Academy Award for his performance as Uncle Remus, and this made him the first African-American male actor to win an Oscar. (laughs) Okay, on January 31st, 1998, many visitors to Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom rejoiced when they saw this sight. What did they see? I think this is another
1: one that we, just based on based on what were we timing wise uh mm-hmm. 1997 and 96 and 97 I believe those were the years of the awful the awful cake mm-hmm. so um so yeah I think just based on the way you said it rejoicing I'm going to say that the cake was finally over
0: that's right Cinderella castle returned to its traditional look <laughs> After it was decorated like a cake for the park's twenty fifth anniversary
1: oh. celebration, and then it was was stitched taping in like 20, oh, 2003.
0: Yeah, that was tacky. Yeah,
1: and then for the <laughs> Disneyland's fiftieth anniversary, it got remade again, and
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it hasn't it hasn't been touched since.
0: No, actually, they're repairing it. Yeah, the <laughs> Sleeping Beauty Castle from um, all of that work and all that, because the damage was done to the roofs of the turrets and all that. Okay, now, teenage and adult romantic comedy author um, Meg Cabot is born, a Megan Cabot, in Bloomington, Indiana on February 1st, 1967. What is her Disney connection? Mm, You got me there. Oh, I I think these are a couple of your favorite Disney films. These are your guilty pleasures. Her Disney... her, The Princess Diaries series of novels were the inspiration for two Disney feature films of the same name.
1: I I will be honest. I don't mind them, but I don't think I've ever paid attention watching them the whole (laughs) way through. I had no idea they were books. (laughs) That's honestly a surprise to me, too. Um, I... Just assumed it was a just a random, a random movie that someone out there wrote.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah, so good for her. Yeah, yeah. So um, okay, on February second, nineteen sixty-seven, Roy O. Disney announces the company will build this. It will be a world's first.
1: Mm, I believe. Based on the time that you said, um, would this have been the announcement of of Roy taking over Epcot?
0: Um, well, can you be a little more specific? Um, the
1: no. I can't honestly i I know that I know there was confusion about what they were going to, and i this is, shame on me for not paying attention on our episode. I know eventually Roy said we'll go through and do it, but I don't remember what the world's first oh. was,
0: okay, no, then you are on the right track, yeah. So I, w- I wasn't sure what you were getting at. So, um yeah, you're pretty close. Royal Disney outlines his late brother's plan to build a theme park. Wow, well, that was more Roy's plan. And the world's first futuristic metropolis, or Epcot, when Disney Productions announces it will build the world's first glass-domed city in central Florida. The movie presentation, narrated by Walt Disney, who had passed away on December 15th, 1966, is termed by officials as Walt's last film. Project Florida, a whole new Disney World, premieres at the Park East Theater in Winter Park, Florida, at 2 p.m., where it is screened for business and government figures. The 25-minute film shows a 50-acre, air-conditioned city of tomorrow, centered in a 1,000-acre industrial park between Orlando and Kissimmee. Yeah,
1: I was I, I was getting there. So. You, were. Yeah, I, you I, were. I always forget. Yeah, it's my brain only works so hard
0: (laughs) it's late too where you were at yeah (laughs) but um, yeah so you did a good job there not bad not bad Mm -hmm. do better
1: next time Mm -hmm. hopefully eventually I'll have someone who can come on and just flat out beat me and then I can have some of the pressure (laughs) taken off my back for a while
0: (laughs) Well, you know, Kirk, during our, when we talk about the Magic Kingdom or when we talk about Walt Disney World and now and the Magic Kingdom and then you know we did that series and now we're in Epcot I, I am always amazed by just the, the engineering and construction effort and the creativity and and the design that just went into this area, this this world.
1: Uh, yeah, no, uh, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Um, especially that's like that's the one thing I hope people take away from this episode. Well, while, while everything that Disney had done up to this point, we're we're talking engineering feats. Think like, from the construction of Disneyland through the construction of Magic Kingdom, talking about how they were creating ride systems and ride vehicles that weren't anything but like just if you didn't pay attention go back and listen to how complex it was coming up with Spaceship Earth and it's like it's it's almost like the pinnacle of Disney saying "We we need to knock it out of the park with this and it needs to be unique and it needs to be it needs to be a feat and it absolutely was but it's it'd be great to see more things done like this I'm not saying that they're not but um I, I don't know I think we guys we live in an age where we take for granted these things now because computers are so so smart and so readily available and it seems like it seems like anything can be done these days really but uh, there's still got to be something out here that just blows us all away I know I know they make steps forward with stuff like the like the shaman animatronic and and other animatronics on the way but I, I hope that one day Disney does design something else where it's just like, how how did it even happen? Maybe we'll see it with Galaxy's Edge. Maybe we'll see it with something else down the road that we haven't even thought of as possible yet.
0: Uh, I hope so, yeah. And if you haven't listened to our beginning series on Walt Disney World and just how it was a wasteland. Yeah. And just what it took before they could even begin to construct Magic Kingdom. I mean, it's just amazing.
1: Hey, I live here. It's still and, a wasteland. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's a whole different <laughs> thing. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the construction of Spaceship Earth is just mind-boggling. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, you know, more. More installments as we learn yeah. more about no, it's this, be, uh, this park.
1: I, I like it. Nothing against Magic Kingdom. When we went through that, there's some fun episodes, but mm-hmm. this is back, like, especially with this show. We kicked off a lot of it with the roots of the Florida Project and learning a lot about Epcot. So now that we are, we've gotten fully back into it now, and, and we're really driving ahead on it. It's nice to be, be coming back to this since, for us, it's it's a lot of how this show really got off on its legs. So uh, it's it, not only interesting, but also also a nice return back for us.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, did you want to talk about the our our Q and A episodes coming up?
1: Yeah, I can. uh, We're we're dropping. We're going to drop some uh, question and answer episodes in February. I'm not going to give you the exact dates because, well, we're always flexible with what pops up on our schedules. So I'm not going to say exactly when they are. But if you've asked questions before. Uh, you know how it goes. We're going to announce basically uh, on a show coming up here very soon that, that hey, we're, we're going to be making a post on Facebook on the Diz Unplugged page, so facebook.com slash Diz Unplugged. And at that point, everyone will ask questions right under that thread. And we, we hear it all the time. We know not everyone uses Facebook, uh, but it's just – it's. It, we, we love you guys, but it is way too much work trying to corral questions from the boards, questions from email, questions from Twitter, all of those different places, and then try to put them all together. So for our sanity, the majority of the world uses Facebook. So we just like to keep it on there. But we're going to post a, a thread that says, ask your questions below. Uh, you're going to ask them as long as they aren't Asking us, well, what do you think Walt would think of this, and what do you think Walt would want to do with that, and and you know that general idea, as well as questions that are typically answered with a quick yes or no, because that's not fun for anyone listening. I <laughs> just hear us say yes or no. So uh, it's, but other than that, it's as always, it's all on the table. Uh, questions about Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney theme parks in general, and then we usually break that off into one episode, and then we have another episode with our. Mouselanious, which usually covers the Walt Disney Studios, the movies, music, uh, Walt himself, other random Disney history, Imagineers, all of that. So it's going to be a fun one. So listen for that announcement in a later episode and, uh, you know, follow Facebook.com slash So if you missed that episode, maybe you'll see it pop up on Facebook first.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely. all I have to say. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. Yep. I always look forward to those episodes. Um, I will be at the Walt Disney Family Museum on Saturday, January 26th for a presentation. So if you are there, be sure you say hey there, hi there, ho there to me. Uh, Many books, films, articles, interviews, and lectures were sourced for this episode of Connecting with Walt, including uh, books include uh, Walt Disney's Epcot Center, Creating the World of Tomorrow. The text is by Richard R. Beard. Building a Dream, The Art of Disney Architecture by Beth Dunlap. The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World, Epcot by Aaron Wallace. The Epcot Explorers Encyclopedia, A Guide to Walt Disney World's Greatest Theme Park by R.A. Peterson. And Secret Stories of Walt Disney World by Jim Corcus, And some websites and online articles I checked out included The History of Walt of Disney World, Spaceship Earth at wanderwisdom.com, Spaceship Earth, Epcot's Icon by Jack Spence, and the design and construction of Epcot Spaceship Earth by Mallory Bryant. I'd also like to thank my lovely research assistant and wife, Carol Bowling, for her invaluable work locating the additional material I needed for this episode. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you?
1: As always, you can find me on the Walt Disney World Edition podcast, the Universal Edition podcast, the best and worst of Walt Disney World and random other things. And always (laughs) on uh, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael?
0: you can send me messages at Michael at com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Uh, check out the one that has the Connecting with Walt banner. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And, of course, we have our official at ConnectingWalt banner. Twitter account there where you can connect with both me and Craig. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at dislinplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings.